0: Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. It's your host, John Landis. Once again, with another great interview from the NYU Steinhardt School with Dave Schroeder. Tonight, we are interviewing, we have the second part of a two-part interview with Gil Goldstein that he did, I think, back in 2019. Not quite sure, but anyway, Gil is great. Really funny, interesting guy who's kind of been in the thick of things with jazz in New York relates to a lot of the people we've been hearing about some of the arranging and arrangers and composers and producers and that's kind of his shtick but he's a he's a he's a great keyboard player uh and accordion player uh and his career continues in a wonderful vein and we're also very lucky to say that he um uh has a residence on the Uh, in the East End, and has played with a jam session on a regular basis, and we hope that that continues in the future, so let's listen to Dave Schroeder's interview with Gil Goldstein.
1: So, it it seems like, uh, and I know why, uh, Mike Brecker was very intimidating. Did you have that feeling with other artists that you worked with?
2: You know, with Mike, I just felt like I didn't want to screw up, Mm -hmm. you know, which I do feel with everybody else, too. I
1: just didn't want to. Was there? A, was I guess I should say, was there a, another imposing figure that? Uh... I'm. I'm
2: always. I'm always nervous, and I, you know, it's hard to say somebody was more. But look, I've worked with Pat Metheny, where I did arrangements and orchestrations and played with him, and he's also imposing.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: with everybody, I don't want to make a mess so I'm always nervous and I'm always a little bit fearful before something starts and I hope that it's good Mm -hmm. and uh, that it doesn't suck
1: Well, I should say that uh, we both felt the wrath of of the great Teo Macero at certain times, right. and uh, so we both have our badges of honor, yeah, there. so talk about Teo for a minute.:
2: Well, you know, I mean, Teo, how many imposing characters did he work with? And he had such a great producing style, not like my style. And, uh, you know, everybody has their own style, but he had a very um, particular style, and uh, it was it worked very effectively for him. I worked with him on a record that uh, Matt Pearson, was one of the first bigger records that I arranged for Wallace Roney called Mysterios, and that was one of the records before Sibelius when I wrote all the scores and copied all the parts, you know. It was like, oh boy, you know. And Tio was producing it with Matt, you know. And he would get in there. I remember the first song we did, I did a version of Michelle for him. He wanted Michelle from the Beatles. And I was seriously stumped how to get Michelle into a style that would suit Wallace and all kind of Brazilian, South American, sounding song. So I, I had to search long and hard, and I found it by accident, really, one day. It just I heard the melody in E minor in a kind of a Nardesque kind of way, and and Tio really liked the arrangement. And while we're in there recording, he goes, "All right." Let's forget all the other songs on the record. We're going to do a 60-minute version of this one. And I went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and what I should have done was said, Tio, I have no idea how to do that because I didn't know how to open it up on the spot with, you know, it was like Jerry Allen and, and Wallace but nobody else really soloed in the band, and I didn't know how to make it 60 minutes long. So it would have been interesting if I said, okay, come on in. You do it, T.O. I hired him once when Gil Evans passed away for about a year. I I took over that band and had different guests every night, which was a crazy and stupid idea because I had to kind of Rehearse every week for the gig, and it was very complicated. And one week, I asked Tio to do it, and he brought in all his own charts. Mm. Remember that song, Papers? Yeah. He said, "He said I did a new version of Papers for this." I, you know, and he was just like he took over the gig completely in the best way. You know, and he would he would play backgrounds and get the horns going. Tio was great, and it was great to get to
1: meet him here and you know I just remember uh, he had his secret device in the recording studio oh, you remember no, that, we recorded uh, with the NYU Big Band with him twice and he had his secret weapon was uh, he would record the whole band and then excuse the rhythm section and then he would overdub all the horns again so everything would be doubled and it would sound twice as big. Whoa! And that was his. He says, "Don't ever tell anybody that." But, <laughs> now you uh, told I think, everybody. I think it's time. Now but everybody that was, knows. That was really interesting. He just doubled everybody, it's like doubling strings. Just the arrangement. So when the guy took the solo, you just lay out and. So you're just playing along with yourself. That's a good producing So that was an interesting thing. tip. But, you know, just in case you don't know who Tio was, he, he produced a- a- Ellington. He produced... Uh, that uh, I did uh, take, take Out, or Time Out record, Dave Brubeck. Uh, all Monk. Of Miles Monk. Um, He's the guy.
2: Hey, Tio, how'd that sound? What record's that on? Miles Smiled. Nefertiti. Huh? Nefertiti. <laughs> Is it never Nefertiti?
3: Hey, Tio.
1: Yeah, play it back, play it back. Now, down. but listen, Tio told me, he he uh, confided in me, and he says, you know, I flew that into the record. Really? Yeah. He wanted that on the record. That was, he had said <laughs> that. He said, That's just the producer's
2: that prerogative. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, sorry, but I don't know that there would have been a bitch's brew had it not been for Tio looking out how to... Edit things together and place them together. I mean, to me, in a way, he had a central figure, uh, central position, kind of like Gil Evans, where he had a lot of leeway, and he had Miles's respect, and uh, you know, he could kind of do a lot of a lot of good, and that was a. A good position to be in.
1: And, you know, I don't know if I told you the story, but T.O. got cut out of the record uh, Kind of Blue. Initially, he was listed as uh, him and Irving... Uh, um, uh, uh, George Avakian. no? No, it wasn't no. George Evakian. Who was, was uh,
2: that? Who produced, uh, produced Kind of Blue.
1: It was... Uh, I'll come back to me. But T.O. said he produced it, and he was there... Uh, Irving... I don't know. Well, it'll come back to me. Um, But,
2: look, talking about getting cut out, let's just talk for a second about Gil Evans. mm -hmm. You know, part of the art of arranging is getting cut out. Irving Townsend. I don't don't even know that name. Um, Did he produce a lot of stuff? Yeah, he was on uh, Columbia, too. Okay. But, I mean... Gil Evans. I mean, does does everybody know now that Gil Evans wrote the piece that Bill Evans played before? So what? You know that little interlude that's composed by Gil Evans, and 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 Bill Evans played it. And a lot of the songs on, uh, uh, you know, uh, "Fees of Kilimanjaro," that was that was Stone Gill you know, and, you know, he kind of never got credit for it, but, you know, it's one of those gray areas. Because it's Miles, he kind of usurps the whole Mm -hmm. thing, and it's... um,
1: But he even goes, you know, further back. He wrote the uh, vocal choir arrangements for Charlie Parker and Old Folks, all those songs, and, uh, of course, uh, all the... uh, Claude... Claude oh, Thornhill yeah. stuff so, uh, so how back. how close were you with Gil? well, you know i
2: we started off like we were best of friends for a million years, and then I worked in his band, and he kind of gave me a lot of respect and uh, you know i he he kind of confided in me with a bunch of you know just you know um like philosophical things, like that line about, you know, I'd like to tell him to play quiet. But I, I heard a million things about arranging. Like, I, I'm just trying to think back to some of them. Like, one thing he said to me was when he started a project for a certain instrumentation, it might take him a month to to write the first one. But then once he wrote one, he went, oh, I have it in my head now. And I went, wow, that's good to know, because you can get frustrated that something's taken a long time, but then you get a flow going, and it happened with Mike Brecker's record too. The first one I wrote for the Quindectet, I went, oh boy, this took me a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And there's like 10 songs, and the record's in a month. So <laughs> I said, I better speed up at some point. But it did kind of naturally get quicker.
1: I remember Tio telling me that when he was producing the Miles Sessions with Gil, Gil would just say, uh, he would have everybody take a break because he hadn't written most of oh, the arrangement. Really? And it would, he would be there like five hours, five, six hours uh, writing. He doesn't like this orchestration. Let's put this note up here. And it drove Tio crazy because they, everybody just had to stop. Well, I never knew that.
0: You're listening to part two of an interview with Gil Goldstein on the Jam Session Radio Hour. You are listening to WLIW-FM. Also heard at WLIW.org slash radio. And this is Long Island's only NPR station.
1: You know, it was funny. Yeah, I had Tio in my office with George Avakian one day, and these both of these guys were so old. And, and I was nervous because George was driving to my office and uh, he couldn't find it. He's on his phone. He's like, I can't find your office. So I'm sta- I go out That's on the That's T.O.'s voice. I know. I go out on the street and <laughs> I'm doing this t- to George. So you right. see some guy waving like, oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they. But he just wanted to come to my office because tio was given a handful of, of original... Uh, lead sheets from Ira Gershwin that George had written that were never used for any musicals, and uh, Tio had him in my office. He wanted to do something, and George shows up because he he just wanted to touch the music that was written by a master. I mean, it was it was so That's touching. Nice. Yeah, that and, is touching. And then I put these guys in attack And no, George drove Teo back to Long Island, and they got lost, and they're calling me, oh, we're lost.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, that was to you.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah,
1: that's right. Well, I I cherish, you know, because
2: I got to, to hang out with Gil a lot, and he would, like, give me something to work on. He said, maybe we could do this in the band, and he'd give me, like, a sketch to Ella Speed from his first record, and I was like, that's Gil's hand with, you know, and, you know, I have them all framed, and you know, acid-free things
1: to just, you know. Wow. So what was that, uh, the, the band Monday Nights at uh, Sweet Basil? What was that? It was kind of a crazy band to play with.
2: It was a little crazy. Um, You know, it was, <laughs> another Gil Evans line was, like, you know, the song would just be about to stop, and then, like, Hiram Bullock would be standing over on the side and he'd go, and then a whole new five minute piece would start. And Gil looked over at me and he goes, That's one thing this band can't do stop on a dime. <laughs> but he never really kind of made a big scene. And look, you know, it was, I was always wishing and hoping. That you know we would do like you know, you know, blues for Pablo. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit conflicted, but you know I got to hang out with Gil and I had access to scores and just Gil himself. So did I he ca- like
1: to reminisce about the old days? And-
2: I don't think he. I don't remember him reminiscing too mm-hmm. much. You know. The first time I ever called Gil Evans, and I, I was writing my book, <laughs> which, which I started as Jazz and, Composer's Companion. Which I hope is still available. I got a scare this year, because it seemed like it was out of print, but it seems like it's coming back, and it's gonna be an e-book now, and- uh, I heard it was gonna be a movie. A movie. <laughs> ah! Great minds. Um, <laughs> It's going to be a mini-series. A mini-series. Yeah, (laughs) that could be work good, each chapter. Um, So I I wrote this book and it had sections on uh, where I interviewed about 20 composers about their process. So before I knew Gil Evans, I called him kind of out of the blue and, uh, you know, luckily I got him on the phone and... uh, I said I wanted to interview him. And he goes, oh, he goes, I'm not a composer anyway. And I said, but when you do arrangements, you add so much material. He goes, I don't consider myself a composer. So very humble. And then he says, I don't think I'm going to do it. He said, you got me on a particularly bitter day. He said, if you call me another day, I might be in a very good mood and I'll, I'll do it. But today I really don't think I'm going to do it. So that was kind of interesting to me in the sense that Gil Evans could have a bitter day. But, you know, there's a lot of frustrations. He did reminisce sometimes about something like, I remember him saying, wow, he goes, they hired Marcus Miller to do this uh this film, uh, you know, that is in a Spanish style, he said, that was my thing. I mean, me and Miles did that together. Like, he was like, how come they didn't call me, you know? So he did have things were human that you wouldn't imagine that, you know, disappointments that he would have as
1: Gil Evans. You know, I was always kinda humbled to see that. Well, one thought. When you called him back, you could have said, I'm writing a book called The Jazz Arrangers Companion.
2: I wish I did. That's next. I still haven't gotten to that. But, you know, I never did call him back. I figured, like, you know, if he really... I also was going to interview Ornette, who... Ornette, I taught... When I first moved to New York and I was getting a degree in education... I was teaching at a school in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I was friends with John Snyder from Artist House. And he says, you know who I bet would love to come up to that school? Ornette Coleman. I said, really? And so he got him. I picked him up at the Waverly Diner, and we drove up to the Mead School for Human Development, and we did a whole, we did a whole, um, like, an assembly for the kids. And, um... I think it's on my website. I think I it was
1: videotaped mm. and and uh he was jamming with the Now you chairman. also uh got to know Bill Evans.
2: Bill Evans, yes. Bill I met um from writing my book also because um Jeff Berlin was auditioning for him at the Vanguard one night to play in his band. And I was a friend of Jeff's. And then at the end of the night, Bill said, is anybody driving uptown? I went, yeah, I am.
3: <laughs>
2: I lived in Washington Heights, and he lived in, uh, in um, uh, Fort, Lee, Fort, Lee. Fort Lee at the time. And Jeff Berlin lived near me in Washington Heights, so I drove up. Broadway and then I dropped Jeff off and in the five minutes that I had Bill alone in the car I was like Mr. Evans I'm writing a book about him I'm a Fibonacci series and I just like inundated him and he was totally nice and friendly and we became friends for the the remainder of his life sadly you know we would kind of We would go out to dinner together and have lunch, and I interviewed him, and we – this is like the worst story that I can think of at the moment related to Bill Evans. And it just – it reminds me of being young and stupid because I wrote a song called 2B.E., and it was a, a all interval row did i ever do that with anybody that i taught uh, you you can write a melody of of notes rather than 12 tone it's 12 intervals you know what i mean you use all 12 intervals before they before they start again so i wrote a nice thing and it sounded like bill evans to me so i played it for bill evans which was a big courageous move for me to do that, um, just to play in front of Bill Evans. And then he said, oh, I like your inner voices moving around. Yeah, nice. He goes, but the chords are not quite there. And I said, what do you mean, not quite there? He goes, you know what I mean, not quite there. And I went, oh, jeez. Wow. Okay. You know, but, you know, he meant, like, I don't think the chords are quite there. So... He said, leave it with me and I'll re-harmonize it. Wow. So he did. And the next time we got together, he played it for me. And now I like to think this is what I was thinking. At first, it sounded a little shocking because I already had my chords. And I went, well, okay, it sounds good. I wouldn't have done that because those are not my true harmonies that I might have heard. But I thought, maybe if I leave it with Bill, he'll play it, you know, and he'll record it. And I left it there. I didn't take it. And as I was leaving, I said, hey, Bill, you know, I, I have a bunch of other tunes. If you want to look at them, if you want to work on He goes, Gil, I have plenty of tunes that I'm working on that I don't really need. You know, in a very friendly way. He didn't say it mean. But I went, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And that was the last time I ever saw him. And I, I could never find out what the chords were. And I'm always like, oh, how could you have done that? How dumb can you be? So if you can remember not to do dumb things, that's one. If you have an opportunity to take a, a reharmonization that Bill did of your tune. Did
1: you know his wife or his uh, ex-wife probably at that time?
2: I didn't know her. Hmm. I knew the the girlfriend that he had at the end of his life. Her name was Laurie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I at the time had a roommate named Laurie. So Bill (laughs) thought it was always kind of funny. Bill and Laurie and Gil and Laurie. I said, yeah, but we're not a couple. And and, uh, he also noticed that my phone number was the same forwards as it was backwards. He was, you know, Bill was a really an intellectual, but he thought of himself not really as that. He, th- But he was so smart, you know, and so witty and easy to talk to and down to earth. You know, you really had to pinch yourself to
1: go, this really is Bill Evans. You know, he was so... Somebody sent me a photo of him in uh, college, big smile and horn rim glasses, and underneath it says, uh, Willie Fingers Evans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you knew Helen, right? Yeah, Helen Keene. Helen Keene, his
2: manager. Um, Yeah, Bill Evans.
0: You're listening to WLIW-FM in Southampton, New York, Long Island's only NPR station, also heard at WLIW.org slash radio. And this is the Jam Session Radio Hour and our interview by Dave Schroeder of the NYU Steinhardt School with Gil Goldstein. Hey,
1: did you ever know Dennis Sandoli? I did not know him.
2: I just heard about him Mm -hmm. because all the...
1: Pat Martino, ever yeah. talked
2: about him. Yeah. He, they, everybody talked about him, you know. What a great teacher. And I think Stern went and studied, or no, no, that's the guy in Boston. Who's the guy? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, Who was that guy? Charlie Banakis. Charlie Banakis. It's interesting how a couple guys become like kind of mecca teachers. And there was another guy that, Mike Brecker used to study composition with, and Richie Byrach, and he was like a classical uh, composition teacher, and he had
1: a lot of students. Some guys had studied with Henry Brandt, like Tio, and then later on. Oh, I know Henry Brandt. Yeah. And a lot of guys studied with Don Sebesky, his method. Well, that book kind of got
2: me started to be an arranger. To just to have that book in my hand, and it's a great book, the Contemporary Arranger. Hmm. It's really just laid out very nicely. There's so many good arranging
1: books, but that just happens to be a very convenient one. Well, we don't have time to talk about this because it'll, it'll, it'll just everything will be dwarfed if we talk about your numbering system and uh, uh, the Fibonacci series. I I can do it really
2: fast. Okay.
1: Okay, so
2: when I was in college, I started to hear about the Schillinger system, and uh, I was fascinated by it. And there was a guy who I don't remember his name in Baltimore, Maryland, that used to teach the Schillinger system. And I said, I got to go there and study with this guy. And um, so I went there, and the real thing that I got out of it was that, you know, you can look at m- pitch intervals, I'm, I am mean, and, and rhythms, intervals of time, as all numbered units, you know, and a half step is one, a whole step is two. And uh, if you make an eighth note the basic unit, an eighth note is one, and a quarter note is two. And I went... Wow, that's nice to get you off the, you know, notation, you know, prison. I said, I like to think of it like that. And then he also, you know, he was looking for numerical organic number series, and then it was very easy to apply that to harmony. You know, if you look at the Fibonacci series, one and one is two, three, you just keep adding it up, one and one, two, two and three is five, five three and five is eight. That becomes the uh, golden mean, the relationship between those, as you get higher, it gets closer and closer to the golden mean. And that's a very organic and mathematical Criteria for beauty, you know, or natural beauty, um, in painting or, you know a natural form, spirals and stuff. So I found that a way to get into the mathematics.:
1: Was there any relationship with the Schillinger method and how uh, Pat Martino developed his system of major and minor? Probably because Pat was into Slonimsky, and
2: Slonimsky was a student of Schillinger. Slonimsky wrote mm. that that uh, thesaurus of you know he just looked for every ultrapurpilation of one one two one two one one two you know he
1: looked for every mathematical combination. But this is the interesting thing now is with Slonimsky and Schillinger, Coltrane studied with. Sandoli. Sandoli. And And is Sandoli Sandoli a guy? I don't know. Sandoli connected him with uh, Slinimsky? I don't know. That I don't know. I don't
2: really know what Dennis Sandoli taught, honestly. Um, But I can't believe that it was too far from it. Just that it gets you a little bit away from, again, like the prison of major and minor and rhythms that, you know occur too evenly and that you can apply any numbers and now the thing that everybody said that Schillinger is bad because it's mathematical and therefore it's cold and it's not human but I've heard people say that Schillinger wanted you to be aware of all the possibilities so you were like a computer but you know it would make you just aware of more possibilities and then one little combination would come out to you and you'd go huh i might not have thought of that you know he was afraid that if we did all of our music based solely on intuition and i heard a melody i liked i'm going to kind of reshape it a little that Art would not evolve, and he thought you could kind of engineer some things to go, hmm, it's like research and development. And maybe you have a good idea, you know, that you still have to, in the end, apply um, intuition to. Pat Matheny did a record, the one, The Way Up, is that the one where it's the whole record is? I I forget the name of it, but he did... It's a whole long thing. And he started off using a book of Mick Goodrick's, which is all guitar patterns, you know. And he said, we're going to stick with that. And you can hear in the opening theme, it's some kind of... He said, we're going to stick with that for as long as it takes us. And then we're going to go, you know. And he said... After that, it's going to be intuition. But it got him started, you know? And Lyle's kind of a a big mathematician, and he figured out a way on the some program that would, you know, generate every melody possible, you know? Mm. So, you know, it's a way to stimulate your brain that you can, you know be like a computer and open to things that you might otherwise not ever think of.
1: I think that's the best way to look at Schillinger. Okay. That was concise. It wasn't too bad. Okay. Hey, we're just about out of time, but uh, in these remaining few moments, is there any words of advice or wisdom you can share with our, our student class here tonight?
2: Isn't that what I did already? (laughs) You know, I would say beyond everything, you know, you have to be like a computer and prepare as much as you can so that when you get into a situation where you have to do something, you go, okay, I think I can do it, you know. Don't be overconfident, and you're going to be nervous, you know, but that's good. And then you have to kind of believe in luck a little bit i hate to say it you have to you know bill evans said the famous line that he's thought that even if he prepared if if a pianist just practiced in a room and he's really ready and he's gonna he sounds great somebody's just gonna go hey you come here i got a gig for you even if you're hidden in the closet you know you're going to be like generating some wait a minute, what's that guy doing in there, you know? Or woman, you know? They're gonna notice you. So I think that's true. If you're really ready, and I think of back to points of my career, and I hope I still have them, where I feel like, I really wanna do this. And if I really, really wanna do it and put enough preparation into it, usually, luckily, it happens but maybe it's not exactly, luckily, because I was preparing and, ah, yeah, there it is, and now I can do it. At one point, I started to think, maybe I would be a good producer, and people started to hire me as a producer, and I went, wow, look at that, and (laughs) you know, it was first through Japan, I did a tour there, and some people came to me and said, we have someone and we'd like you to produce it. And I went, yeah, that's it. And then Pat was the second person, Matheny. He said, Gil, um, you produce, right? I said, well, yeah, I did. I did, I produced a project. He goes, perfect. He goes, you know, he says, we need a producer on this. He usually hired me for his jazz projects, like a trio, you know. it was It was low impact production, you know. I didn't go, hey, Pat, come on, you know, you didn't have to do too much, you know. But he wanted, he said to me once, he wanted adult supervision. Mm. I said, okay, you know, (laughs) I can do adult, I hope.
1: Hey, in closing, tell tell us that story you said about when you were on the road with Pat and uh, he'd want to go running before the show.
2: and he just put, to put, put his cat, hat on, yeah. and nobody noticed him. He'd just go out and run and through all the people, and he's had his hat on, and nobody noticed him. That's a, the opposite of how you get noticed, put on a hat. So, you know, I went to college with Pat, and uh, you knew Pat is a little different than, than most people, I have to say, um, You know, because he really had a, you know, it wasn't just, gee, I'd like to be a producer. It was like, I'm going to figure out how to be a producer and I'm going to do it. And in his case, he heard Gary Burton's group and he liked that group and he knew that was his niche, you know. And he figured out a way to aim for it And he was there, you know, In a a year and after, a year and a half in college, he was hired at Berkeley to, you know, but his is such a developed sense of, like, I know what I want, and that it just, you know, it was, like, unbelievable, you know, to see how quickly he would morph into what he was imagining. And then, you know, I got enough tunes now, I'm working with Gary Burton, I can do a record now. And then, you know, it's like, it just becomes a record, you know. And, you know, he continues to do that. Like, think a project. That's a very advanced thing, you know. And Jocko was in Florida then, and he was kind of the same thing. You know, he was like, you know, I'm gonna do this and this and I'm gonna play with weather report, you know. And he did it. Tragically he you know, he's not here, but you know, he, he was that same form of you know, so so positive and so you know, that's a really rare thing. That's a handful of people. I you know we 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 aspire to that but it's a hard uh, it's a hard thing to attain and then it's also you know just gifted you know though they were gifted they were gifted and they worked like crazy you know it's not like it you know 10,000 hours you know they say you need to be really an expert and both of them probably had 30,000 hours by age 22, you know. So how many hours you guys got? Four Four hours. (laughs) You know, it's like that app on your phone, the heart on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. You get to see how many steps you make, and you're supposed to take 10,000 steps a day. It'd be nice if we had that, because I don't know how much I practiced. It probably wasn't 10,000.
1: We're well, talking about I'm keep hours. keep adding it up. All right. You're, we you're gone a, t- we well over an hour, so we'll say goodbye to you now. And, I was
2: uh, going for 10,000. <laughs> I need to come back. 9,999.
0: Thanks so much for joining us once again. I think this has been edifying, interesting, funny, uh, as a lot of these interviews are. Dave Schroeder is a great interviewer, and Gil Goldstein is a great interviewee. I think you will exi- you will agree. The guy has, you know, a lot of a lot of good stories and connections and and um, fascinating insights into playing. And certainly at the end there, when he's talking about. Uh, giving us some tips uh, for young musicians and people coming along like the kids at the 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 students at the Steinhardt School. It's just uh, awesome stuff. So uh, we thank all those who've been involved with the Jam Session Radio Hour, including Clayus Brondal, our music director, Silvano Monasterios, whose Tropical Mirage tune is our intro and outro, Fernando Valladeros, uh, who uh, helps us choose the music, Rafael Alvarez, our post-production guru um, and co-producer. We thank them all. We thank the Steinhardt School, Dave Schroeder, his producers, his co-producers, Joseph Vella, Ed Barada, Shake Up Productions, and made possible by a gift from Selma Geller. Please with us. Please come with us again next week when we come back to the Jazz, uh, the Jam Session Radio Hour, and continue to bring you some really interesting insights into jazz and music in general. Keep music in your life. Stay healthy. Uh, we are getting through this. We'll be, we'll be back with you in the not too distant future with live music. Take care. And for the Jam Session Radio Hour, good night.